Hello and welcome to this episode of Bring It In with me, Chris Holland from Charlton Morris. Um, bit of a special one today, or a bit of a different one at least, because we did this as a live webinar. Um, so the, the, the theme of the webinar was how to cut costs and keep talent using data. Um, cut costs being from like a recruitment perspective. And we had Matt from the Happiness Index and Lisa from Coolco who came to our offices in Leeds and we had a really brilliant chat about um, all things data in, in, in recruitment and in HR and in talent generally. Um, I think that something that I took away from it that really stood out was that data shouldn't be intimidating. Um, I think it can be, you know, we, we sort of think about things like screens full of numbers, like flashing in front of our eyes when we talk about data and it's a bit intimidating where someone has to interpret all that and read it and get it all back to you. But, you know, Matt, Matt puts it really, really well when he talks about the fact that, you know, a conversation, a one-to-one -one conversation is a data point. And, and I think that's something that everybody can take away from it. It's just the more conversations you have, the more data you have, the more you learn and the better you can be as a business. Um, some really brilliant points. Um, you know, you can watch this as well and we'll put a link to the actual video of the conversation in the description of this podcast. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I really hope you enjoy listening to it and watching it as much as I did recording it. So thanks. So today we're going to be talking about how integrating data into your talent function is a super impactful way of saving and making more money as a business through your people and talent functions. But without further ado, we'll start off with some introductions. Um, so me first. So I'm Chris Holland, Director of CM Marketing and Insights here at Charlton Morris. Um, my team and I work closely with our clients to design their talent attraction and talent strategy um, plans. Um, we do that through our in-house data team and marketing agency before our recruitment teams get to work doing what they do best. But I'm joined by two phenomenal guests. Um, so first of all, thanks and hi. How are you both? Hi, <laughs> right. I'm wondering who these guys yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to come in in a minute, aren't they? Yeah, uh, so we've got Matt Phelan, CEO of The Happiness Index, and Lisa Lister, co-founder of Coolco. Um, but Matt, do you want to just give us a bit of an introduction to, to yourself? Of course, thank you. Um, I suppose the first thing of note about me is I'm a dad. That's the most important thing. That's my most important role. Um, co-founder and co-CEO. One of the things that people freaks, freaks out about my job description at The Happiness Index is one, it's happiness. So we'll get into how that's not fluffy today. And secondly, I share the CEO role with two other people. So we have uh, three people doing the CEO role. So, but both are, both are important to me, um, but we'll definitely get into how happiness is not necessarily a fluffy metric and actually extremely important to the stuff that you mentioned in the intro. Great. And the happiness index, what, what is it, the happiness index? Yeah, that's a good question. I should have explained that. <laughs> that's um, right. So we, 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 we partner with Charlton Morris. We um, measure employee engagement and happiness. To give everyone the sort of difference between it, employee engagement is a traditional method that people measure. It's what, how, what you think about work, whereas employee happiness is what, what you feel about work. And both are they're going to be relevant to later questions, but it's a platform where you log in and you understand how all your employees think and feel. Um, and I would describe it as emotional intelligence on scale. If your organization is less than 20 people, you probably should know how everyone's feeling. But companies get bigger than that. I think you said earlier, Charlton Morris is like 120 people. Yeah. So like once you get to that point, you can't suddenly know everyone's name. You don't know what everyone's up to. So getting a bit of help from technology helps do all the things that we're going to talk about later around retaining and attracting talent. Yeah, perfect. And and Lisa, hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> Tell us a bit you. about yourself and Colco. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, myself and my co-founders started Colco after um, COVID, after the pandemic. Um, we've, we've been working with businesses now for sort of 
20 years and a lot of SME businesses in various sectors. And we found a massive shift after COVID in terms of the um, business owners and their attitude towards culture and really recognizing the need for it even more if they hadn't before, um, which in some sectors they were definitely further behind, I would say, in that journey. So our intention is to take a really pragmatic approach um, and help any business of any size in any sector craft a culture program that then does lead to kind of all the good things we're going to talk about today, recruitment, retention, productivity, happiness, you know, generally all all the positives that come out of having a well-resourced, invested, committed to culture program. Perfect. So I think it's important to say at this point, we're going to sort of be covering the the talent function or the talent um, solution piece and splitting it up into a couple of parts. So we've got the bit before people join the business and I've got the bit after people join the business. So, you know, how do we bring people in? How do we make people want to work for us? And then how do we keep them? Um, and then how that informs it. And um, I think what's brilliant about having um, you two here is that we've got, you know, Matt, the work that you guys do with the happiness index is helping you acquire and then interpret that data. But then Lisa, you know, you, it's that culture piece and it's really that practical interpretation, isn't it? And the use of it. As yeah, opposed application to yeah, of it. Yeah, you've got yeah. to apply it. Perfect. Cool. So first question um, is, why is it important for your talent strategy to be informed by data? Um, Matt? Okay. I think if we talk about what happens a lot in businesses, the person who is paid the most in the business often has the most important opinion. And that, um, I'm not going to get in whether that's a good or a bad thing, but one person's opinion is, is one data point. Um, so that's still valid, whoever that, that's from, that's their lived experience, that is um, a useful point of reference. But where data is really important is you get everyone's opinion and then you can put it together to create the full story. So if you're not collecting, sometimes people, maybe like myself, you might have been bad at maths at school. So when you hear the word data, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that data thing. And, and sometimes people think it's like the opposite to creativity and that they, they, should, they, they should never come together. But really all it is, is it's you take all of those stories and you turn them from anecdotes into really powerful information to make better decisions and i think i just want to bust one myth before we get into into this which is have you heard that saying if you can measure it you can manage it mm -hmm. so i used to love that saying because i've worked in data for a long time now but i think now it's better to look at data from from this question point of view if you can measure it you can better understand it if you can mm -hmm. better understand it you can make better decisions so data is not there to like say that that one person who was just making the decisions on their point of view is, should be like retired. It's just meaning that when the person still makes that decision, they've they've got a more informed decision, and that's all data does. Yeah, and I, and I think that's all I'm just trying to bring that to the audience for. But to go back to your earlier point, when you know right at the start, we just said that there, where you said that um, you know as a company gets bigger, you're not going to know everybody's names. You're yeah. going to do that then you know, maybe when you are a one person or a two person or a three person company, then the person who did, who does get paid the most and founded the business, maybe their opinion did have the most weight and that yeah. mattered, but mm. surely that dilutes, doesn't it? Over time when you've got 50, 60, 70, 500 people to. Yeah. And you see that in all those programs like undercover CEO and stuff yeah. that you like when, I don't know, let's pick retail. Someone goes and works in a shop and they've not worked in a shop for like five years and yeah. they actually see the challenges that that's that again if you go and do that you're picking up a few stories on that day data will give you all of that story of what it's like on the front line for someone which means you can make the decisions that need to be made 
Yeah. And and Lisa, with with regard to that that culture piece as well, um, you know, how how does how does data fit into that from a, a talent strategy perspective? I think if you sort of simplify everything at its core, what a business owner or what a business wants is um you want to have you want to retain your staff because you've put all that effort into the beginning process of kind of, of, of the talent acquisition and getting them. So you want that retention and you want, therefore you want them to be happy. Those things kind of go hand in hand. Um, But then you also want, presumably in most cases, the strategic growth to be achieved. That's generally not always, but generally that's why people are in business. And, and so it, it's, you've got to know what's working and you've got to be able to measure what's working in order to be able to keep those people and to have got the people that are going to achieve the very best outcome for your business in the shape and 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 form that you've decided you want to kind of you want it to be you know so it's got to link with strategy um but ultimately you, the, if you don't invest in the bit up front <laughs> you're going to you're going to leak people yeah. at, the, at the back end basically yeah it's it's just it's it's like you said Matt, you know it's about not being not being scared of the word, not being scared of the prospect of, you know, we're not going to be, when we're talking about data in this context, we're not talking about learning binary and, and yeah. coding and things like that. Are we literally talking about speaking to people and then using their answers, their thoughts, their feelings as the benchmarks and the foundations for what else we do, which informs everything we do. Yeah. Business. Yeah. And it's trying to get the data that, that the happiness index get that is actually around you said emotional intelligence around emotions and feelings which is potentially harder data to collate than some of the than some of the statistical data of you know um that some of the figures that people may have focused on prior to kind of companies like yours coming along and i think on lisa's point i think one of the problems here is businesses fear emotions Mm. so many of us and i've i was given this as negative feedback once i was too emotional Right. Now, lots of people have had that feedback and it's something that we're told not to be at work. But um, we, as human beings, we are emotional beings. So if we stunt all that emotion out, we're actually not allowing our employees to get to their full potential. So actually, when we make decisions as human beings, quite often they're not always rational decisions. And where you go and work has one of the biggest impacts on your life. Mm. Um but you don't necessarily, if you think about it in, in in someone's personal life, when they meet a partner, they don't write a list down. Well, some people do. So. <laughs> but most people don't write a list down of like 10 checkpoints and then they check them off and then they select their partner. In the same way with a job, there's going to be hygiene stuff that you're going to want to know, like, does it pay the right salary and all this kind of stuff. But if you're, if you're faced with two, two choices, some of that decision is going to be emotional based on how you feel about it. Like we're at, Lisa and I, we're at the um, Charlton Morris office today in Leeds. And it's amazing here, all the little finer details mm. that uh, the effort that people put into things that when you come here to bring the listeners into the room a bit, you get that kind of feeling that, okay, these guys know what they're doing because all the little details are taken care of. Um, but that's an emotional sense that I've got. I've not gone around with a checklist and <laughs> went, okay, yeah, they've cleaned the glasses mm. and all this kind of stuff. It's just something that builds up over time. And, and understanding that emotional point is, is really important when you define the strategy. And that, and, and, and that's really interesting because I think often data can be seen as an absence of emotion, but in yeah. actual fact, it allows you to, well, it allows you to make intelligent decisions that play into people's emotional states yeah. in a more effective mm. way, doesn't it? Yeah. It translates really. A lot of business owners are kind of psychometrically, I mean, if you like, so kind of say they're the blues, if you like, evidence-led, data-driven, 
um, it's it's a scary world if we are just talking about feelings that we can't kind of put into any pattern or structure or context. Yep. So to be able to take emotional data and then give it structure, that's like a comfort blanket almost. Yeah. That makes it translatable into the boardroom that then they can make yeah. the right decisions. And without getting everyone switching off from LinkedIn, it's where you combine in qualitative and quantitative data. And yeah. when you bring those two together, because on Lisa's point, what people fear is unstructured data, mm-hmm. which is emotions. But there's technology, that's, that's why the Happiness Index is built. There's technology now that allows, there's artificial intelligence that allows you to do that, put it in a dashboard as a CEO, you can read it and have a look at it. Like mm. there's technology out there, let's let it help us. Yeah, it demystifies yeah. everything, doesn't it? And, 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 and we know that, you know, the, 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 going back to the, the title of this, this session, you know, talking about cutting costs. And we know that there's a direct impact on reduced costs, more efficient hiring processes, impactful employer brands, ability to create amazing environments through harnessing this so that the impacts you know going back to that boardroom you mentioned lisa is, is huge so you know how so the next step from that question is how could data be used to inform your talent strategy and talent attraction so that first piece you know how 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 do you think that we they could use data to to inform that first bit of getting people in so I think, again, it's just collecting all those stories. So I'm going to put you in the spotlight a little bit, but you've been here nine years. Yeah. So we had a chat offline about the fact you've been here nine years. Now, the first bit of data that if, if I was Charlton Morris that I would want to understand is the people that are here and are staying here, why are they staying here? <laughs> because there's some beautiful stories in there that once we collect that, we can start building it into strategy. So again, that I only know you from here, which has given, given me one piece of story. But let's collect that from the 120 people that are here. And then that's information that we can start to build in. I, I read a stat this morning when we were preparing for this. 30% of people leave before their probation period's up. Right. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Like, if you, just to put it in like the real world, if you were having a dinner party, if you were organizing regular dinner parties and 30% of people didn't come back, <laughs> yeah. you would start, you would start You'd asking yourself. You'd wonder about your starters, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. But that, that is collecting data. You'd collect data. Like, why are people not coming back? And, and, that's it's the same at work so just getting into these these little stories but then grouping them in and and getting themes out that's when you start to understand it and then then you can work out what you build on in the strategy does that that help Mm, mm, absolutely um i suppose i talked a little bit about talent strategy and what what i meant about talent strategy was that first step so you know using data and using insights that are out there to make intelligent hiring decisions before you start to hire. At least we were chatting earlier about how, you know, companies with, um, companies will have significant roles that they need to hire for at a very early stage, but it's a little bit of a like finger in the air job sometimes as to the what on the, you know, the what on the where and the why, isn't mm. it, as to, as to how we do that. Um, you know, how do you think in those situations that, that companies could use this, this data piece to, to, to make more intelligent decisions? Yeah, when we were talking, I was saying that quite a lot of the SMEs that I work with don't necessarily have huge skill sets in people or HR. And then therefore it often falls to the directors who um, would completely admit it's out of their comfort zone to then be talking about the people in HR. So um, kind of linking in with what Matt was saying, if we can really, if a company like yourself can really help them to get under the skin and understand what does a... what does a happy employee, a happy, productive employee look like, um, then it's going to be an awful lot easier to craft kind of the talent that they're looking for, for the growth and depending on the kind of type of growth that they want. Um, And also the kind of whole shape of the company. Um, I remember working, we worked at Colco um, with 
a company who really did want to, a lot of companies fit into this bracket, they wanted to employ more female staff on more of a shop floor manufacturing industry, you know, um, engineering environment. And they were really struggling to recruit females. And tiny bits of data that say that if you kind of, if your job adverts um, have everything stated in terms of attainment and qualifications, then um, men will apply if they only can do 60% of those um, bullet points and women will think that they need to have 100% before they even think they can apply. So maybe even at the kind of, uh, you know, before you even kind of sit down and put that advert out there, you need to think, okay, maybe I need to focus more on the values and the attributes and the personality types and things that aren't maybe just the bullet points, got this qualification, got that experience, if you want more females. And when they just adjusted, tiny tweak, cost nothing, adjusted the way they approached their, you know, their, their, their recruitment, suddenly the women were applying, they got the nice mix on the shop floor, all the dynamics changed, all the positives of having, a, you know, a a mixed workforce um, came from just, that was a data point that they acted upon and worked. It's a perfect, it's a perfect example that of a really practical data point that, that can be used. You know, if you, we often see companies who are approaching this strategic talent um, plan for, for maybe the first time or taking it seriously for the first time. Yeah. And it is like, they'll say, right, our talent strategy now is to do the exact same things we were doing, but we want to hire more women or we want to hire people with different protected characteristics, you know, that we want to hang in, but they're doing the same thing and expecting different results. Yeah. Whereas it's like that data point is, well, let's take a step back from it. Let's analyze the size of the talent pool. Let's be, let's be representative of the communities that we're hiring from. And if, okay, if we want to be representative of the community we're hiring from, they might not have that, that practical skill set um, from a, you know, a medical device perspective. But okay, well, let's deprioritize that. Let's prioritize the soft skills, get fantastic people in who add loads of value from that diversity. And then we can go we from can that. But, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, but without the data, you don't know the lay of the land to, to mm. kick off with. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, Matt, did you have anything to add to uh, that? The only bit is the, is, which is a bit of a trap, which is the cultural fit point. Yeah, right. Because a lot of companies, the first thing they do with the happiness index, they take something called a cultural assessment. So it gives them a readout of their culture. So they'll, they'll see, okay, this is what our culture looks like. This is the shape. And then they can take that, they take that data and then they'll try and go, okay, let's hire for this fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that means is you just reinforce and do exactly what you were just saying. You hire the same people over and over again. Yeah. So there is huge value in understanding what your culture is now. But I would just change cultural fit to cultural ad, which means you'll, then you go, right, this is the culture. And you get a bit, using the food analogy again, a bit like, how are we going to bring people in that are going to add to this culture and how are they going to like just increase the mix the diversity the change all that kind of stuff and and then you just start looking at everything as a blend and thinking right oh how is it all going to work but until you've pictured that and taken the data it's difficult to know even what you are because yeah again if you ask 10 people they might say a different thing but if here if you ask everyone then at least you know what the culture is like and and that i mean that asking people i suppose that's a real measure of culture isn't it you know as a as the the, yeah. the, the real culture uh, expert here but like asking different people and getting the same answer, but from all different backgrounds and walks of life and things is. Yeah, I don't know how you can do it otherwise, really. And you'd say, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned, you know, far too many assumptions are made from one person's, you know, often say the phrase like looking through a lens, you know, often if, if you've got the same type of people around the board table or looking through the same lens or making assumptions, it's a recipe for disaster, really. It's not going to be accurate. So you've got to ask, and I've got to ask, 
more than once. <laughs> You've got to ask at various points in the journey. Um, but I really like that point that you just made then about it's not fit into a kind of compartmentalize into this clone, the add and enhance and improve and, you know, the kind of rich diversity, what that kind of gives in addition. And a culture moves and a culture evolves mm. and a culture yep. keeps changing. It's yeah. not like a, this is a box you fit into. It's a, it's a, it's a wiggly line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Very wiggly, yeah. <laughs> culture, <laughs> the wiggly line. That's the takeaway quote. Um, so yeah, I mean, conscious of the facts as well, that, you know, we want to, I've just mentioned there, um, utilizing data from that strategy and attraction perspective. Um, you know, really want to give some practical points. So just as a few notes that I had from from here before about places where you can maybe get some data points to help inform strategy um, from those talent pools, things like free to access salary data, census data, the economic situation, cost of living, um, they're all helpful for like that, that, that piece, but also just like general social media and taking the temperature of, you know, what people are talking about, the way people are feeling about things and the way people are thinking about these things is, you know, if you are someone watching this in a, um, HR talent role and, and it's a case of where do we start and that they're all just easy easy places to go but um look we'll we'll, we'll move on um to the the next the next question uh, which is is all about um how you know when we've got people in then how do we keep our people using data and you know this is obviously right in the yeah <laughs> your yeah this is as every day I think we talked about doing a culture assessment, understanding where you are, but you should be measuring across the entire employee cycle, um, onboarding, exit, um, through, through key significant moments. So you'll, again, pick on you guys, you've been here nine years, 10 years is coming up, right? That will be in your head a big moment. So uh, again, I'm not speaking to, to, to everyone at Charlton Morris, but someone, need, someone here needs to get that right. <laughs> That's like a decade of your career. And some moments are more significant than others because the time that you've been here nine and a half years is different to the day you've been here 10 years. Just like, um, I think there was an example at Manchester City a few years ago where Manchester City forgot the captain's birthday and he got upset because he didn't get a birthday cake. Yeah, I think yeah, it was Yaya Toure. Yeah. <laughs> so we can laugh about that because yeah. we can go, oh, well, there's a footballer who's on £200,000 a week, all that kind yeah. of stuff. But again, that's the difference between a rational and an emotional. We are emotional beings. So someone can go, oh, Yaya Toure was on £200,000 a week or whatever it was. He shouldn't care about that. But that's the emotional core instinct that goes back to when we're children, that someone celebrates our birthday and it it, it stops a job being transactional. But you flip it around and sorry, you, you flip yeah. it around and you think like, well, hang on, he's on £200,000 a week and he still cares about that. Yeah. That must be really important. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Who doesn't it, like a con in the caterpillar? <laughs> <laughs> But again, just to simplify and answer your question, it's just tracking the data throughout the whole employee experience. And the only other point I would add is just remember power dynamics. So we talked about asking people's opinions, but if you're the CEO and you're male and you go and ask all the women what it's like in this company to be, to be here if you have a child, there's a power dynamic that comes in play where you might not necessarily get the truthful answer. And no matter how open and chilled and modern you are as a CEO, um, then people need to build a feedback in an anonymous way because whatever that power dynamic is or, or whoever you're speaking to, whatever part of it is, some people are going to feel threatened or intimidated and tell you what you want to hear. And the bigger the company gets, the worse that gets. So anonymity and allowing people to feedback anonymously is really important. Just on that as well, just just in terms of, and, and I think I'll come back to you on the cultural perspective of this in a sec, but being anonymous and doing the surveys anonymously um is one thing but what about the question of, of when 
because I, I, I think that, um, you know, it was in a conversation um, on another um, episode of, of Bring It In um, yeah. that, that we were chatting about somebody and um, where they were talking about doing their employee surveys. Yeah. Um, and when, well, I'll, I won't put words in your mouth. When do you yeah. think the best time to ask, to, to survey people is on their happiness is? When it's right for them. Right, okay. Not when it's right for you. Right. So sometimes people approach us, retailers, not picking on retailers. I think I've done that twice today. And they'll say, I want to start a survey, but we're not doing it at Christmas because everyone's going to be really stressed. Yeah. <laughs> like there's an argument you should do it at Christmas. But, that, but that's, that was sort of my question, yeah. yeah. Is that should you ask people yeah. when they're at their lowest? Yeah. Because then that's when you'll get the, yeah. the most, or is that... Yeah. Our most sophisticated clients do it 24-7. Right. So it flips around. If you think about marketing used to be like one way and now it's two ways because of social media, getting how someone feels needs that needs to be a way so we have a product called employee voice 24 7 people can feedback negative positively anything that they want um and but just by having those different products like where you're doing an audit like a cultural assessment you might do that every six months but having a product like employee voice just means people can feedback whenever they want right and it makes such a big difference because and, and also in that it's it's really important to remember high happiness doesn't mean good and low happiness doesn't mean bad because that's what that we would call that is toxic positivity Right. It, your emotions are supposed to go up and down in a day. And if employees are consistently emotions are going down because of a particular reason, that's good for you to know. Mm. And then someone like Lisa can help you fix that. That's, that's how it works. So it's just, again, it's just data and intelligence. If for whatever reason, when everyone arrived here, they couldn't get in the front door for five minutes, that would be annoying everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just fix it. There's yeah. some, sometimes the stuff that's really annoying people in your organization is so much simpler than you will have ever imagine until you collect the information. And when it comes to that cultural piece, then so you know, say we've um, we we've got a we've got our organisation, we've got a good lay of the land now, whereby we've got data and information as to how people are feeling. Then what you know, what are the next steps into then interpreting that data and making something of it? I suppose um, one of the useful things from tools like Maps is to be able to to get those trends and to start seeing certain indicators. So that you can try to you you can try to avert if there's more effort and attention needed in particular teams, which is possibly down to the kind of team leaders often, or the you know the managers, or um or certain offices, or certain jurisdictions and territories. You know, there's going to be all that kind of the way you sort of slice it is going to be different. But if you can start to see a trend that's dipping, then you can kind of try to work out why you can also work on the kind of best practice element of why are certain teams really thriving what is it that those teams or those leaders in this team's doing and let's pick those and translate those across other parts of the business kind of drop it in um so i think it's you're right i remember we we once had matt doing masterclass for colco and it's kind of obvious that of course happiness cannot just keep going up and up and up like where does it end it's you know mm. we can't all walk around like some sort of jumping beans you know positive and happy all the time so it's got to have that kind of undulation and not take that as criticism at board level or at, at leadership level yeah um but actually more just see it as as little indicators and the, the pulse kind of checking of things to say okay there's this there's just i can't work it out yet there's something going on over here Let's just, you know, gently approach this and start to work out how we could kind of, you know, think of ways to improve it. Um, and I also think in terms of when you ask when is the right time, so I think it's quite important to have um, a blended approach to how you're asking. So your 
um, is one approach and then you've got your structured ones is another approach and then there's something that's the anecdotal one-to-ones and the you know water cooler moments and there's all sorts of different ways of asking at different times but if the leaders have been or the managers have been trained that that is really important to keep listening um, and then feeding it back in somehow then you're getting a much more complex sophisticated set of some you know some quantitative data and then some qualitative data um yeah absolutely and i'm going to pick up on that um on something you mentioned about segmentation lisa you said about one-to-ones mm-hmm. um and i think that brings up another really interesting point about the segmentation and when we're speaking to our companies and our teams are seeing them as like a collection of individuals as opposed to one big homogenous group um like how important is that to it's critical yeah. you know it's critical and that's why you know the kind of data that you're gathering is is from you know one data point at a time and then collating it together to find the the trends and the and the you know the information that you need to kind of apply it to business strategy but it, it, it is so com- you know, human beings are so complex and a lot of what they're doing in the workplace has been influenced by what's happening everywhere else out of the workplace and we all know every single day that we have is different with you know friends and family and health and you know various other points so the, the one-to-ones are it's it's crucial and it's even more important in the industries where it's not very comfortable so you know in some of the manufacturing engineering um more technical but you know less service industry um less creative and services industry they kind of you do that in these types of environments as a matter of course it's of course we do we're uh, um extroverted people we you know we thrive off other uh, you know socializing it's the opposite in lots of other environments when actually the individuals are most comfortable not making eye contact, not talking to anyone, getting to their machine and then tinkering away with whatever it is that they're doing and you know in the on the shop floor or or, or, or whatever it may be on the lab te- you know on the lab bench or whatever. So it's even more important there and their skill sets that need to be developed or hired in and and more attention needs to go on it and invested in it. But then also that has the you know you mentioned that um people who come in get on the machine sort of tinker away and then that um i think there's a perception of some industries and it's manufacturing being one but then also on a different level like you look at people like maybe software developers Mm -hmm. or something who are super super in demand talent but there is a bit of a perception of like well those guys like just being left to it they're like and that's it and you know they don't want to be taught they want to work their own hours and do all that but we know that gathering this data makes them feel included and makes them feel more loyal maybe the right word but more included and more appreciated by the business and um going back to something you said before about like you know the the needs the hierarchy of needs that yep. people would be great to hear you know you just talk a little bit about that yeah. again Bit being heard is a universal need that we all have um and that is different to whether someone's an introvert or an extrovert if someone's an introvert or an extrovert that's going to vary how you might organize an event um but it doesn't mean the basic human things around being heard. So if the top driver, just to get into to geek out a little bit, the top driver of happiness in, in every uh, country is uh, positive relationships that it, from, from an employee um, experience perspective. So positive relationships. One of the um, 
key drivers of positive relationships is something called energetic connections. Now, energetic connections is is what we're getting now from from being on this podcast or whatever, but we're a self-selected group because we've come on the podcast. Lots of people you might have invited might have said, no, I'm not coming on that. Going on a podcast is my worst nightmare. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that those people don't need energetic connections. And, and, and I'll bring it back to your point around engineers. A lot of my employees are developers, engineers, that that sort of profile. Some of them like to come to physical events and some don't. But it just means you need to work hard to work out what those people want to do. Uh, a classic example would be in our organization, and this might freak some people out, but we had a, we replaced the Christmas party with a winter festival that didn't have alcohol and was between the times of 10 and three o'clock. And the reason we did that is we're trying to make it as inclusive for everyone. Because if you've got to do the school drop or you don't drink or you don't drink, because sometimes always, I, I actually don't drink myself, but some people might assume that is for certain reasons. It could be for religious, could be for health reasons. Nobody knows unless I tell them why I've done that. Um, so going back to the point, it doesn't replace, going back to Lisa's point, it doesn't replace good management, which is understanding your people and whatever their personality and their role, that's going to be different from person to person. That, uh, does that? Yeah, 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 it does. And and it, it brings me a little bit to, um, again, we were speaking about this before, but um, we've been doing a little bit of our own research um, over the last few months. And, we've, and one of the questions that we've asked in that is what are people's, priorities in, outside of compensation because that it muddies the water a little bit but um what are people's priorities when it comes to a job what is most important to them and we've asked our respondents um to rank them once way and we split that in between the sectors we operate in which is life science medical devices and industrial which are there's a lot of similarities in terms of the overlap but then they're quite different and yeah. and some of the differences were really really interesting um so you know all three of them going back to the needs um ranked um flexibility and sort of work-life balance is number yeah. one, which points to me is the fact that it is prioritizing those relationships yeah. um, that, that we want to preserve. We, again, we talked about this a little bit. Like the debate that gets discussed in public, it tends to be, should people work from the office or should they work from home? And that gets all the airtime, whether it's Elon Musk or whatever that conservative guy is that always always saying everyone needs to be in the office or they should be shot. But um what re what the data shows is some people want to work from home, some people want to work from the office, some people want hybrid. I personally myself prefer hybrid, like I like a bit of both. Um, but what we know is pretty much everyone wants flexibility, and that that can go into different sectors as well. Because sometimes people think flex again because they confuse it with the office. If you take a security guard as an example, they can't work from home because they've got to, they've got to be on that checkpoint or securing that building or whatever it is. But you can give them flexibility, for example, to swap, swap shifts with someone else so they can be at their child's birthday party. So thinking really hard about what flexibility is absolutely important. And, that, and that's just life, isn't it? That mm. just means people talk about work and life balance. We even talk about it in the model. They started more to use work-life harmony because that's what you tr That's everyone. We all need to work uh, other than the, the people that don't from a monetary perspective. The rest of us need to work for money. So it's good that you've taken that out. That's a reality. <laughs> People should go and be, get paid a good wage for what, what they do. But outside of that, we need to be able to flex our, our work lives and, and that whole thing all around it. And that's why people want it. But mm. they also want it because it's not readily available. Lisa works with lots of companies that are really forward thinking. And we were talking about it and Lisa was saying, oh, it just seems obvious that people should have flexibility. I know loads of CEOs that don't think it's obvious. They still don't get it. And this is where the data is important because that... that <laughs> 
that is there, isn't it? If you're going out to hire talent and retain talent, that data is there staring you in the face. Mm. And there's going to be a cost to ignoring that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. And, and as well, it's important that sort of um, to explain it is flexibility and that that can exist in all roles because sometimes in a manufacturing environment, there's just, there could be just a blanket, well, the shop floor can't do that. Um, and an mm. admin can, if you like. And, and then all that does is cause them and us even more so and friction and so it does need almost the more attention needs to go on how could it be flexible okay it can't be remote on a shop floor but how could it be flexible on a shop floor so that it doesn't put any rifts in the culture you know put any kinks in it if you like yeah and and so you don't create uh what literally an upstairs downstairs <laughs> yeah. type situation yeah. in it where yeah. you go and yeah, we are all on the same team and, and yeah. employed from the same. And that, and it, sorry. Yeah, as you're saying, everyone points towards the same goal. But um, All I was going to say is, again, on your point on diversity and recruitment, if you don't fix things like flexibility, you're going to end up recruiting the same people over again mm. because the whole world of work has been designed around one person who doesn't have commitments at home to look after children. Yeah. That's the reality of it. If you check out, I'd recommend all the listeners to Google um, Jess Hegren, I think it's H-E-A-G-R-E-N. And it's a report called Careers After Babies. And the stats in there are quite, they're, they're amazing to read really. So 97% of women that have a baby want to return to work. But many can't because the, the world of work isn't flexible enough. So the amount of talent mm. that is going out of the world of work, and we're just talking about babies at this point. There's loads of other factors in, in the workforce that, 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 that need to be fixed. But that's just one point, isn't it? Like, if you can't flex that around that, you're losing absolute talent out of the door. Mm. Um, and it's just, I find it crazy that people will just stay with this like thing of being rigid when they can see all this data. There's so much cost to not being flexible. Yeah. And that is that, you know, that, that could be someone who, you know, whatever you might qualify for your maternity or paternity, you might have had to work for a company for a certain amount of time. But that is still your talent strategy as well. That yeah. future proofing against that, not yeah. having to just react where you go like, oh, hang on, this has not happened, right? Well, oh, they want to come back, but oh, we can't. Oh, oh well, exactly. It's, it's actually thinking ahead of it. And, you know, if you're a, a smaller business, um, you know, the, you might not have the time and, and, and energy and resource of, of all of this amazing things to create a hugely detailed HR strategy, but you can future proof these things, can't even think about these things. Yeah, and it's it's working out that this investment up front of the difficult decisions of how we do flex and do this, how how that actually benefits in the long term, you know, the return on investment of that thinking up front and, 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 and ever evolving. You know, so since COVID, employer you know, employers have had to flex enormously and they're still doing so now because they, you kind of go through stages of coming back and okay everyone's pretty much back now but now we're sort of seeing the fallout of if there's too much remote or if like you're saying if you just say oh yeah a software developer can do remote so they will do remote and we won't even try to lure them back for some human connections and positive relationships then you start to see now the fallout of that so it's it just never changed it's it's ever evolving really it's really interesting and and i think that um we are now going to move into the the Q and A. We've had a few coming in. Um, oof, yeah, tough. <laughs> um, first one's on culture. 
Um, so how can you really showcase your culture throughout the recruitment process? Um, I mean, I think that you probably are better to answer this than me, to be honest, but I do think that um, businesses, especially SME businesses, do not focus enough on any of their, um, the, the socials, they're quite good at focusing on the internal culture and the people that are there who are happy and thriving. And they, you know, there's lots of photos of, you know, nights out and whatever it may be. Um, but I don't think the website often has as much um, of a part to play as it should, you know, because people will just check out your website straight away. And I don't think the, eff the effort goes into the products, the services and all the, anything that brings in a revenue and not, as many companies focus on things that are going to bring, bring in a recruit. <laughs> um, so I do think that you could really just start there simply with putting an awful lot more effort into the section of your website that has everything to do with rec recruitment and then make that very, very real, you know, and it's got to be, oh, I hate the word authentic, but it is just, a, it is a word that is correct in that it has to, um, you have to, what you see as a perception online has to completely translate the minute you walk into that office. So from reception, people walking past and saying, yeah, okay, can I get your coffee? Is someone looking after you? All the things that happened here when we came here do not happen everywhere. So there's no point it being totally incongruous and what you saw and what you get are totally, you know, totally different. So I think that's showcasing, but in a kind of consistent way and that somebody, a lot of the work we do with Colco is, um, we call it employee journey mapping. Um, but basically it's from the point when they don't know your company you know, and then do all the way through, um, hopefully to long service, um, you know, and, and, and kind of all those good things and mentoring the people coming in. And, um, and I think it's great if you, when you're in an interview stage as well, if you're kind of showing people around and they do half a day in the office and you have the people that work there, not just the interviewees, you know, interviewers who were kind of, you know, working with them at that point, but they've got to see the real picture. They've got to see under the bonnet, basically employer brand is, is is what we're talking about there and it's a whole different topic and something that um you know we could do a whole other webinar on but just from from my perspective on that i think um yeah the, I, I completely agree there's you know i'm not gonna we're we're very lucky we're in a lovely setup here with lots of lovely cameras and microphones and um it's great but there is something to be said for um something that is a little bit um quicker and often easier to make whereby people are showing off their culture and it's you know people want to see themselves don't they? and people want to see themselves in a business and you mentioned nights out on the website but then to go back to your point Matt, like you had your winter festival and not your christmas do because you don't want to show off the fact that like you know every month we got and get wrecked yeah because that's not the type of business that we yeah. are and if so if you have got you know if the big picture of if the big picture of on your one careers page on your website is your team of 30 people and everyone's got a glass of champagne in their yeah. hand then that's the perception it's like oh that is how we have fun yeah we all get hammered yeah um so yeah i, I com completely agree um did you have anything to add to that I just got three words which i think is really a really simple i don't like the term hack but for me this is the simplest hack here which is publish your data because when Friends say to me, I'm going for an interview and they say, oh, you know, when you get asked, like you've got to ask a question. Mm. I always just say, ask the interviewer how happy they are. Ask them how their team is and ask them for their cultural data. Because a company that has a good culture will say, oh, yeah, I'll send you something. I'll send you the report. So publish your data. <laughs> if mm. you're collecting this data on how people feel, going back to Lisa's point, and it is a great culture, you'll have the data to prove it. So 
if you're going to be saying stuff on your website about this is a great place to work or this is we've got happy employees you better be backing it up with data mm. because otherwise it's just a statement it's like the amount i bet now if we could build a bit of ai tool to just search how many companies say my people are our people are our greatest asset i don't know what the search results yeah. will be but it will be a lot and the, my response to all that is prove it mm. how are you proving that because the only way to do that is publish your data mm. that's that's a that's a, a that is that's a great it is a good hack i get i get your opposition i'm to never going to use a hack again <laughs> that's the last time um, I use it. What, another question for comment is what is the best way of rolling out a survey system for reluctant employees okay 100 percent of employees are reluctant let's start from that point has anyone in the world ever got a survey and thought oh, yes. i've got a survey yeah, this moment. everyone's reluctant <laughs> yeah. and i say this as someone who owns a survey company at its core yeah um so you have to start with that assumption nobody is going to get that email or that whatsapp or however it's deployed and go yes we've got this survey so all survey programs will fail. It has to become a way of life. And that's where people like Lisa come in. You have to build a program that it just makes it part of the DNA. Um, one of the crazy things about happiness is that getting feedback is actually important to your own happiness. So <laughs> that, that, that's the whole like, like circle of it. Feedback is important both ways. Mm. So you have to bring it into the DNA and you have to take it seriously. So there, there is a, an assumption that there's reluctant employee, employees. I'm reluctant. I'm a reluctant employee to fill out a survey. But there is also a, a, a myth that there's something called feedback fatigue, where if you send out too many surveys, people won't fill them in. What it actually is, is something called action fatigue. So reluctant employees, which I actually think 100% of employees are, they won't fill them out unless leadership is showing they're acting on the data. Mm -hmm. Because once you do that, and it has to be something really small, but once you show, um, what's that that sitcom at the moment about that American um, football? Um, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. <laughs> okay. If you watch the first episode, go yeah. and watch it. But basically, he actually does a survey on post its, and what he um, what he finds is there's a um, there's a leak in the shower, and he fixes the shower, yeah. and then the players start thinking, oh, actually, maybe gives, maybe he cares yeah. about us. So that's that is obviously a comedy program. Again, it's that you're showing employee, employees those things that are important to them are important to you. Otherwise, you're in your ivory tower. And that's where all this stuff becomes really powerful. And that's when people start getting the birthday cakes. And yes. I've not forgotten about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I agree. People are, people are fundamentally, especially if culture is not something that you focused on previously, so it kind of, or you have and not well. And so it kind of, you know, you're starting from a, a you know, a minus point. Um, we're kind of quite naturally cynical and skeptical and and it, and so i think you've got to yes yeah, sort of quick wins um build it up you know keep the momentum going constant sort of energy with it um yeah i i, I just I, I just think it's not it's not easy and it's something that you just have to keep keep working at and 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 I, that's what i was gonna say the, the kind of focus on what's in it for them like why why totally. am i doing this Am I doing this for you or am I doing this, you know, because there will be some benefit for me or my team or my family or whatever it may be. I'm just on that, the amount of times I hear, like, we'll get a new business inquiry and why, why do you want to do it? Oh, because we want to win an award. 
Right. This is not a chicken and egg conversation. You do it because you want to create a better culture, a better company, and the outcome will be better awards. Mm. It's the amount of people I meet that, that they want to do it to win an award. If you tell your employees that's why you want to do it, they're not going to fill out the survey. And then you have to do that thing, right? Everyone has to fill it out by Friday at six o'clock or they're not going to blah, 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 blah. Like awards will come if you've got a great culture. You don't, it's just start with the culture and the, the awards will happen. Don't do it to win awards. Yeah. This is a... Um... This is a really interesting question, quite a big one. Um, but I think from a cultural perspective, particularly, Lisa, like, how would you define being a flexible employer? Because I think well, there's a perception, that's what we're about, but I think there's a perception that it means that I can start at 10 and I can finish at 6. Yeah, I, I guess it's got to be, um, it's, it's got to go back to the data. So you've got to find out what the, your workforce mean by the word flexible. And you need to have that whole gamut of information from the very from the very little to the very large bits of flexibility. And then there'll be an area in the middle that is actually possible. You've, you've got to think of your business outcomes and your business output and your objectives. So so the kind of the um, the balance is, can we achieve the majority of this for the majority of our people and still achieve our business outcomes? And then if we, as is probable, probable, you cannot do the whole gamut, something that somebody might want that is, you know, you just think, really, this is just not, that's not even working. <laughs> you mm. won't even be working if you yeah. would go to this level of flexibility. Um, we need to, whatever is not possible, um, or maybe not possible now, we need to communicate really well. We need to explain what factors we took into consideration and, and what the, what people, the majority of people wanted to do and what was commercially viable and then say therefore we can apply these things and maybe in the future when we get to a larger size and we've got you know maybe it's covering work you know um, covering roles or responsibilities you may say this time next year if we do manage to achieve our growth plans and we get another 20 percent of extra people here we think we can then move on to allowing this and this and this so it's a lot to do with that two-way conversation with work the workforce i think that's really interesting though contextualizing flexibility with what you can't be flexible on. I yeah. think that's a little bit, because I think- What you can't now. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But I think that's it, because people are so keen to always give good news and always talk about the positives, but it's actually the, there's always, if there's always that question hanging in the air as to, well, hang on, they didn't do the thing I said. Yeah, the more so, communication mm. you give about your business and how it works and why things aren't possible, people are reasonable and rational on the whole. So if you say to them, this if you know you maybe have not thought that if we did do that this will be the consequence for the business and you can see that's not viable and they're like oh do you know what i've never thought of that that's a fair point i mm. understand mm. it's just communication i mean i say just communication that's a whole nother webinar yeah. it's really hard to get communication strategy right but i think that honesty of kind of why we made this business decision that most people would go okay i get it fair enough i'll move on from that suggestion you know mm. Absolutely. Do you have anything you, you want to... Just to pick up on your point, Chris, around um, if I had to rate the CEOs of our customers, which I'm not going to do live on this podcast. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. Number one. <laughs> um, the ones that, that perform the best in terms of looking after their um, employees do exactly what you were just both talking about there, which is the way I always look at it, unless you're breaking child labour laws, which you shouldn't be, and if you are listening you and you are, that's a serious problem you need to sort out. It's big but bad now. It's big bad. <laughs> but every one of your employees, 100% of your employees is an adult. 
So they everything that they deal with at work, they also deal with at home. They have their own P&L. They have bills to pay. They have all these challenges, family issues, all this kind of stuff. So a CEO saying these are the things we can and can't do is totally normal. But some people fear away from that. And they, what they do is the opposite to what Lisa was saying is they don't communicate. And that's what, um, again, I'm using, I'm going to use a film reference. You know that like Tom Cruise film, like you want the truth, you can't handle the truth with Jack Nicholas. Your employees can handle the truth. Mm. What they can't stand is, this is just silence. Because where silence happens, rumors fill the void. So if something's happening, let's say there's an announcement out in the press of your company and the CEO or the team don't come out and say what's happening, people just put, fill the narrative themselves. And that could be good, it could be bad. So you just have to get out there and, and at Lisa's point, just so right, that's a whole nother webinar on, on, on communications, but it's such a simple thing to do just to keep people updated on what you can and can't do. It's mm. mm, interesting. Look, we've got, um, we've got just over five minutes left. So I'm going to do one more question, then I'll ask you both for one piece of sort of practical advice for people to take away from them. So I'll let you think about that. But um, how can we be more emotionally intelligent as a business? Um, so this seems to be the key. I would say the number one thing to do is be sitting with your team and asking them what's important to them. So like I've shared today, like some of the top drivers of happiness would be feelings of acknowledgement, positive relationships, psychological um, safety and freedom to take opportunities. They're the top four drivers of happiness. Sit down and ask your team which ones are the most important to them. But you can tick all those four boxes with one conversation as well. Can't yeah. You? yeah, actually that it, yeah. it yeah, does itself. Yeah. yeah, so all I would say is just keep getting in that habit of making space in the time, not just to discuss the workload, the recruitment jobs you've got to get out, all this kind of stuff. Just, it's, you know, when people pass each other in the corridor and they say, oh, how are you? And no one really waits for the answer. Just make time to actually ask, get into the detail of like, what is important to you at work? Mm -hmm. Great. Same question. Uh, I think it's a big question, really. Um, but I, I do completely agree with Matt it's it's the being personal bit it is actually just getting getting to know your you know individuals in your team really really well and that dynamic um and then having the mechanisms to somehow collate and feed that back to the people who are going to be making the decisions on kind of what we do what we do next um, it's not it isn't an easy one but I think it's rather than shy away as, a, as the elephant in the room it's to sit down with people like you guys and sort of say you know well we can gather the data it's not impossible to gather this type of data and then do something with it to make it meaningful mm. um, so it, it it exists out there the happiness index is a really good example of that and I think that should be the focus as opposed to some surveys which People, when we talked about them being sceptical, they're sceptical because sometimes they are contrived to produce results that somebody wants to hear or to have some blame in there to do with leadership and management and what isn't happening and is happening. And um, it, it shouldn't be, you know, those types of surveys should be to do with how they're feeling and then you are gathering the emotional intelligence. So, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. No, superb. Well, look... Uh Thank you very much uh, for your time. As I say, I'm going to finish with just asking you both for one piece of advice um, that people can take away. Um, in you know, just on doesn't have to necessarily be very much in the nuts and bolts of this topic, but just anything generally that you'd you'd like to to let our, our audience know. But um, yeah, thank you, thank you very much for your time. And, and Matt, come on, what what's your 
golden nugget of wisdom people I, take away with them? I won't say what our sales director would want me to say, which is go to thehappinessindex.com <laughs> uh, well and done, book a demo. But what I would say, you know the saying, curiosity killed the cat. Like that isn't true in business. I just say, stay really curious. Like I don't think there's anything more interesting than other human beings and just make time to find out about them. And that's, it's, it links back to what we were saying before, but just stay curious and find out like, Find out all the stuff that's going on um, and what makes people tick in your organization. And and what you will find is by finding out that about other people, one, you'll realize you've got more in common than you think. And two, your relationships will become stronger because you'll find out stuff that you can connect on. So just be really curious. Yeah. Great. Lisa? Um, yeah, I suppose I, I kind of just think it's don't... I, I know lots of business owners who avoid this subject because they feel like um it's going to open pandora's box and i would just kind of say be brave and methodically you can approach this in a really safe way with people who know how to kind of help and guide you so that you can proactively because we've all got a culture in our businesses it's just whether it's the one we want whether it's a toxic one whether or whether it's a, a nourishing one i suppose so i just say you know be bold and put invest the time and commit to structuring and creating and um kind of crafting a really good culture program because the kind of peripheral benefits are are endless you know the positives that come from doing so and conversely the risks are immense if you don't yeah yeah great well look both of you thanks so much for your time i think the you know the big takeaway for me from all this is that um you know embracing Data, data doesn't have to be a big scary thing that um, you know we think it is, which is going to be highly complex and needs um, a PhD to be able to use. It's it can be as simple as having a one-to-one conversation. It can be as simple as checking what what people want to be paid, what people are interested in before you offer them that job. Um, and you know, there's there's three people here who'd be delighted to help you with that as well in the future. <laughs> yeah. But um, look, if you've watched this, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, you know, please join the Bring It In community. Um, it's been fantastic to have these two brilliant guests with us today. Um, but yeah, until next time, thanks a lot and goodbye. Okay. Thanks for having us. Cheers, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bring It In. With this series, we're always looking for debate, feedback and conversation. To ask me a question or discuss a topic, get in touch at charltonmorris.com slash bringitin. That's also the place where you can see new episodes, live events, and more importantly, join the community. Thanks again for listening.